Churchpreneurs Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything faith, theology, and church-related. Churchpreneurs exists. Its vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneurs hopes to embolden people to fulfill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church, theology, and hopefully to empower you in your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your personal growth in Christ. Today, I wanted to uh, empower you churchpreneurs in uh, another way. Um, I, I find it very important to think about movements, think about uh, things that are affecting us. And one of the things that I see that's affecting the church uh, very, very much is a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. And, and uh, many of you know, know I've written a book about that called Divergent Theology and uh, now also translated into German. And it's called uh, Entwurzelt in German means uprooted. And so um, that book is about the new apostolic reformation and uh mostly mainly about bethel and its influence uh on the global church and its influence as a as a good cross-section of the teaching uh, practice and theology of the new apostolic reformation and as i wrote that book uh, i got quite a a lot of pushback and and feedback from people uh, who had either been influenced by Bethel, been uh, there themselves, been part of the church there, or part of the School of Supernatural Ministry, which I'll talk about a little bit. Um, And the question always came to me, what, uh, Richard, have you ever been there? Have you ever visited, uh, you're you're critiquing it and and not having uh, even been there yourself? That came as a question quite a bit. A lot of people asked, actually, out of true curiosity, um, Richard, have you been there? I'd like to know about it, you know, out of firsthand experience. And so some of them, some of the questions were you out of curiosity, but most of them were out of, hey, you're not really allowed to critique something unless you've been there physically, experienced it physically. And so um, I took that upon myself and said, you know what, I just at least to the very least to be able to tell people who ask me, yes, I've been there who, um, sort of resist my critique because, um, I haven't been there myself. I decided, you know what, a while ago I decided I need to try to get there if I ever can. As as some of you also know, I'm a missionary in Germany. And so it's not easy to get to California. Bethel church is in California in, in Northern California in Reading and uh, it's not easy to get there if you're um, living in Germany and uh, it's a little bit out of the way even for California standards. I lived in the Bay Area for nine years as a youth pastor and um, so it's it's close enough to the, to the Bay Area, at least close enough, I mean three hours um, up into the mountains there in Northern California and uh, so this time I was in the U.S. in, in the winter. 
doing my uh, ministry visitations, visiting old supporters, visiting old friends from our church in California. And I thought I'd take the chance this time. I won't have probably a better chance to go visit and be there in California. And so I took the opportunity to go visit, to uh, see what their whole service is about, at least visit one service. So I, I like to have gotten there for a longer period of time, maybe a weekend, but I just didn't have enough time. I only was able to visit one service. I really drove up for an afternoon service and then drove back. So I wanted to share that with you. I think it's very, very important that we understand what's going on at Bethel and um, how it affects the church at large because they are really, really influential in the evangelical world. And I wanted to give this to, to you, my experience at Bethel, uh, my visit to Bethel and uh, what I experienced, what I saw that's what I want to share with you. So that's what we're going to do this episode. So first of all, we uh, I, I took someone with me. Um, I, I always like to take someone with me, mentoring, discipleship, and uh, uh, any kind of uh, influence I can have on a young man underway is really incredible. So I took a young man with me. He was also interested in the in the movement, has been affected by it himself, and so he wanted to see it as well for his own eyes. And then we had lots of opportunity to talk underway and to minister to each other and encourage and pray. And so uh, I went as well. I like to take the people there to, with me wherever I go for accountability that I have someone to say, hey, um, this and this and that person was with me. They saw me the whole, they observed me the whole time I was there or what have you. Even when I speak and preach places, I love taking people with me if not my family, someone else, um, just to be able to have my back, so to speak. And so just in case uh, someone went with me, he saw me the whole time. He was with me. We, we stayed, I rented a place for him to stay as well in a uh, bed and breakfast. And we, we went together and he was with me the whole time. I think I used a restroom without him. Though. So <laughs> anyways, just kidding. Um, but, uh, I do have that backup. So anybody who says, yeah, you're lying or you're not telling the truth or what have you, what have you because that has happened and that can happen. And I'm sure it, it happens in this um, scenario. Um, I have backup. So um, I also uh, was in contact with a person before we went. Um, I had posted something about this wake up olive thing where um, uh, sadly a child passed away of one of the worship leaders at Bethel and, um, they prayed and declared and proclaimed that this, uh, I think four year old girl, uh, would, would wake up and, uh, raise, rise from the dead. And I posted something from Al Moeller, uh, one of the, uh, the leader of the Southern Baptist seminary who really critiqued the whole thing and critique Bethel and was, was very strong. And, uh, I posted that and saying, Hey, it's not just me. Uh, other evangelical leaders are seeing that there's something's wrong here, um, with this movement and with Bethel and with what they're doing and how they do it. We don't, as Christians, we don't, um, do that. <laughs> we bury our dead we have for centuries. And then this person reached out to me who was a member, uh, old friend. I knew, knew them from California. This person reached out to me. I'm going to try to keep their gender neutral in the sense of not saying 
he or she, and um, and keep their identity private. But uh, did visit with this person and wanted to reach out. They reached out to me on my social media, and we discussed back and forth. I said, hey, well, I'm going to be in, in Reading and be a, be a Bethel. If you're there, if you're around, uh, I'd love to sit with you and talk with you about this issue. And so we we were able to connect and meet at the service, and then we uh, chatted afterwards. So first thing we walked in, um, yeah, big facility, um, as as thought, you know. Uh, I'll say this before we start, um, so that you know where I'm going. My book, uh, in my book, I critique Bethel uh, and Bill Johnson, the leader, the lead uh, senior leader there. Um, uh, at length for their theology, their practice, and their um, their teaching. And from what I gather from everything I've read, I've read every single book of Bill Johnson's. I've watched thousands of hours of sermons. And what I gather from their teaching, theology, and practice is that it stands outside of Orthodox Christianity. There's a certain distinct teaching that makes Christianity Christian. And theirs is not. And so I was going there with the, you know, first of all, with the purpose of being able to tell people I've been there physically. I have witnessed it. I've seen it. I've been there. And then um, to be able to say, okay, well, let's confirm. What are we, what are we, what are we looking at? What are we dealing with? Are we dealing with something that stands outside of Christianity? And uh, my fears, let's say fears, not fears, my thoughts um, were confirmed. Um, and not just confirmed, but it's worse than I thought it was. I thought I'd have, you know, typical kind of, uh, let's say extreme charismatic with maybe a little oddities sprinkled in, not what I experienced. I experienced something that stands further outside of Christianity than I had originally thought. It's worse than I thought. It's more extreme than we thought, and uh, not just are, are, is my what I've written in my book confirmed. It's it's doubly confirmed. It is extremely extremely troubling. Let's just get right into it. We uh, got into the building, um, big uh, sort of uh, let's say warehouse type building. Nothing real special, really uh, kind of gray. It's, it's bland. There's nothing like super extra nice. They have a cafe outside and stuff like this. And yeah, I mean, it's a typical, um, let's say mega church with seating capacity, a thousand seating capacity. I was actually surprised. I thought it might be a little bit more, but it's um, probably built to just sort of um, seat and they have several services. So we went to the six o'clock service. We got in and uh, immediately I noticed as I walked in, there was... Um, a row in the back, a row of handicap seating um, in the back couple rows. And I thought that was odd and misplaced, especially if you're familiar with Bethel's healing theology, uh, their theology of sickness and suffering, um, that sickness and suffering and, and, and all that stand outside of the will of God. It is God, always God's will for you to be healed. Bill Johnson has said, I will never create a theology that allows for sickness. So interesting, they had a row of disability seating. I thought it might be interesting to uh, jot down uh, um, underneath the handicap seating a little note for the faithless, uh, just 
in case someone was disabled that wanted to come in, they could sit in the seating for the faithless. Because as we know, the prosperity gospel teaches and preaches that uh, if you if if you don't have if you have faith, you'll be healed. If you don't, you won't. Um, yeah. So only people who have disability um, would would be faithless um, because yeah, God only only God's will is only always healing and health. So I noticed that I thought it was interesting. I'll. I'll post the pictures there. So I've got pictures as well. I'll, I'll inter intermingle them if you're watching uh, on YouTube. If you're listening, uh, sorry. <laughs> so the bulletin, I'll just show you the bulletin just to sort of prove as well that I was there. It's called The Weekly. Um, and nothing real extra special, but uh, just I was flipping through it. And I, I didn't read it all at first, but the guy who was with me, he said, Hey, Richard, look, man, like there is not one single thing where people are studying the Bible. There's nothing that even you would say, oh, well, that's a Bible study or that's a one where they're studying the book of Philippians or something, anything, nothing. There's not one single thing. So we go through it and we've got prophetic sessions, how to grow in the supernatural, bottle drive, baby bottle drive. That's nice. Okay, they're doing stuff for the community. Sacred work conference. So, um, yeah, there's an annual business meeting, festival of cultures. Um, that's interesting. They they in Beth, in Reading they have a festival where lots of cultures come, lots of food, different foods and stuff like that. Heaven and business. So make sure you bring heaven to earth in your business. Um, yeah, kindling is a class designed to help new believers build strong relationship with Jesus. So um, Bill Johnson has also said that um, uh, fire fire falls on a sacrifice so make sure you're a worthy sacrifice make sure you're good kindling and um fire can fall on you so that's probably where that's going um yeah prosperous home etc prophetic ministry training um yeah there's no bible um <laughs> he was right I've, i read cover to cover i read every single thing to see if i could find anything where people might be studying the Bible. Not a thing. I didn't see it. I couldn't find anything. So that's their weekly bulletin to really prove that I was there. I was there. <laughs> um, one thing I noticed too right away um, and noticed it throughout the service is that the air conditioning was on. It was January. It's the end of January. I was there on the 29th of January. Or Sorry, excuse me. 26th. You can see it here. January 24th to 26th weekend. And uh, it's 26th of January. That's middle of the winter. It's not terribly cold in California, but it's in the mountains in California. It was cold. I wore a coat. I wore a winter coat with a long sleeve shirt. And they had the air conditioning on the entire time. It was freezing. It, it was easily under 60 degrees in there the whole time. As soon as, uh, and, and I understand the production and everything, lights can be super, super hot. But it was too cold. I mean, you know, for anybody, if the stage, if they were, if they were air conditioning for the stage and for the heat on the state that's generated by lights and and by heavy, high production stuff, um, it was too much. I mean, they need to have zones for for that. But I also noticed after um, once the ministry time started that a, a young man um, nearby he he's 
stood up at the end of the time and you know where, where the holy spirit falls on people and he started shaking i mean he was really just shaking for 45 minutes now i know in, in myself if i get cold cold to the point where i'm shaking start shaking it's hard to stop and so i think not to say that they do that on purpose but it's it happened um i started getting to shakes and i finally put my coat back on and finally warmed it zipped all the way up i was fully zipped and in my coat and i was still a little cold. I, you know i finally stopped shaking myself but uh it all adds to the effect i don't know if they do it on purpose but it was cold um, and then i noticed as well all young people now this was probably the service for uh for bssm students so they have about um, anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 students at a time and even the person I visited said, this is really just, um, it, it, our church has basically become a training ground for these kids. These kids come here from everywhere. I actually overheard German being spoken. Um, there are more German people going to Bethel than any other nationality. That's what Bill Johnson himself has said. I'm not making it up. That's what he claims. Now, I don't see, I've never seen the numbers, but he's claimed it. Um, here in Germany when he spoke here in Germany one time. So it's a hugely international audience. Um, even the young people that were there were, yeah, it was obvious that it was the kind of the student service. And probably for that reason, it went a little longer. Um, I'm just guessing. So uh, Bill was in attendance. He was right up front. Uh, yeah. It was, it was pretty easy to see Chris Valaton uh, spoke. I was really surprised. Uh, Chris Valaton spoke at that, that service um, and both were there. Um, they were, I'm sure they're really, really busy. They're all over the place in the world. So it was really interesting. They were both there. Um, yeah. Then I noticed as well uh, the, when, uh, when we, when they started worshiping, it was a regular worship set to begin with. I think it lasted about an hour and a half. I have recordings of everything, so I'll intersperse some recordings in that uh, in this um, time. And um, yeah, the first worship set was a regular worship set. Yeah, two, three songs that were okay. I didn't notice anything wrong with them. You know, the, some some of them their their songs are way off the charts uh, theologically. Some are okay. And so, but the last two, it was really, really bizarre and flitty, flatty, butterfly nonsense. I'm floating um, this, it was true nonsense. person I was visiting, they know I'm a crit critic. Uh, they know that, you know, I'm coming there with eyes of a critic and they leaned over to me and was like, wow, this is terrible. You came on the right day. This is awful. I mean, literally in the worship set, they said that, so 
it was confirmed not by just me and and the guy who was with me was like man this is this is bizarre and true um fluffy nonsense let's just call it what it is it was fluffy nonsense and uh we're floating we feel so weightless in his presence and um man-centered fluffy nonsense it wouldn't have been good at a concert i mean the concert goers would have been like what is this this is um so the last two i hadn't i didn't recognize it maybe the the worship team was trying them out what i did notice was it was probably the jv worship team i told that to the person i was visiting to this looks like uh, i don't see any of the normal faces up there i didn't see brian johnson jen johnson any of the typical worship leaders that you kind of recognize and uh, so I guess they were giving the JV uh, squad a, a shot and maybe the JV squad actually got to sing some of their songs so I don't know then I did notice and told the person we were visiting as well uh, yeah it looks like actually the JV squad might be might even be prettier than the the varsity squad the JV squad everybody everybody on stage was pretty not one single average looking person not even one the guy even leading was very attractive looking person I, it, it's just really incredible um everybody's attractive on stage they don't put one single even the bass player you know sometimes sometimes poor bass players he they were all good looking everybody was pretty on stage after the worship set then and and as well just really well done i i have to give them props where props are due that the upfront stage show was top one of the better i mean i I've, i guess i've seen better um in concerts and whatnot but church as far as church ministry goes church staging it's top it's t one of the best there production from uh cameras they have they had two huge uh boom arm cameras that zoom in and out they could zoom all the way to the back of the audience and all the way front to the front stage um cameras several camera um angles other than that as well and they do they have they they, they produce ibethel tv so it's a TV production quality. Uh, each camera easily a hundred thousand dollars. I had someone tell me even they're probably more than more valuable than that. But uh, yeah, so just really uh, production wise, you can hardly beat it. It was all up front. Was stage front was awesome. Lighting was blam. I mean, you know, of course they the lighting and everything. They hit those crescendo moments and that's what they're trying to do they're trying to the crescendo moments the stage lighting floods the whole audience and um you know of course everybody raises their hands then and worship it's hard to beat their staging and, and production quality then uh chris valentin got up um they actually had no actually they had the the i, I want to make sure i point this out during their offering they take their offering and um it's really interesting of course you probably might have heard of their offering statement um it goes something to the effect of as we receive today's offering and everybody says it everybody screams that they actually pushed it this time you say it with like you mean it you know kind of thing and then they say as we receive today's offering we're believing the lord for jobs and better jobs raises and bonuses benefits blah 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 interest and income rebates and tax returns and 
so forth and so on. And, and they read this thing out. It's on the, uh, the screen. And uh, it is a, just go look it up yourself. You can go Bethel Offering Blessing, and it, they actually have it on their websites. Um, it is a statement of prosperity, uh, full on God's going to give us money and we're believing for more. And then, I mean, it's, it's really, truly unbelievable. It's not a Christian uh, blessing of any type. It's not, not even close. The scripture talks about poverty and being content with what we have. And I mean, it's, it's as clear, uh, clear against scripture and all their Bethel uh, uh, offering readings are, are clearly stand in opposition to what scripture teaches about money. Anyways, they read it, they, they give. And, but then interestingly enough, they get up out of there. They don't pass an offering plate. They ask people to come to the front to give their offering. I thought, wow, that is, I even mentioned the person I'm with. Y'all actually get up and go forward to give your offering. Um, those who stay seated, um, yeah, too bad for you. Uh, you're not giving today. I mean that it, it was, it was, inc- I couldn't believe it. And they get a big line and everybody watches the people going forward to give their offering. And those who stay seated, I guess God's not blessing you. So I thought that was incredible. Um, I've never seen that before. I guess maybe there are some churches who do it that way. Um, I think that's incredibly manipulative. Incredibly. I've never seen that before. And that was a shocker to me. So everybody who sits down after you read this awesome blessing, I guess they're not believing God for raises and bonuses and so forth and so on. I thought that was awfully, awfully bad. So then they um, moved on into um, their their announcement time. It was interesting. They started to pray for people after the announcements. Um, and they, one of the leaders, I don't think it was Chris, I think it was someone else, said, grab a hand and and we're going to pray together. So they had actually asked people to grab hands and, and pray. And they said, this is a way you can get a date. Um, so talking to the young people in the audience. So, all right, some levity. That was not so bad. We bless this night, though, they said. This is interesting. We bless this night. So it's we proclaim, we bless, we uh, do this. We we are the ones who bring the blessing. It's not, Lord Jesus, would you bless us this evening? Would you speak to us? It's it's we bless it. So, again, very people-centered, um, uh we are the ones who are doing the blessing. Then they prayed for Kobe Bryant. Uh, Chris got up and prayed for Kobe Bryant. Uh, what I found interesting, you know, Kobe had had passed away in a tragic helicopter accident. And um, unfortunately, we can't pray for him anymore. He can pray for peace for his family. Um, but I thought, oh, we can't pray for Kobe anymore. Um, it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. And uh, scripture says that clearly. So we can't pray for him anymore. He's... Um, yeah, sadly, uh, I don't know if he was a Christian. I don't. I don't have any idea or his family. But we can pray for his family, anyways. Then he prayed for the coronavirus in China, and uh, that was interesting because in the following, let's say month, I think month or two, so January, February, March. By March, 
he and uh, Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, and Bill Johnson had proclaimed uh, that by the end of March, the coronavirus would be stopped, that, that God would stop at a prophetic, he had a prophetic um, uh, word that God was going to stop the coronavirus. Uh, unfortunately, it hadn't happened. And so um, that's a false prophecy. So if a, if a prophet claims to have heard a word from God and that does not come to pass, uh, the Old Testament is clear. Uh, that is a false prophet. That prophet is spoken presumptuously and is not from the Lord. So um, this this prophecy, he, he didn't prof prophesy at, the, at that uh, service, but later in uh, March at an event, an online event, both he and uh, Bill Johnson proclaimed the end to the coronavirus. So they're obviously false prophets. Um, yeah. If you speak on behalf of God and say, thus saith the Lord, or God, I proclaim an end. God showed me that the end of the coronavirus would be coming at this and this and that, that a date, and doesn't come to pass, you're a false prophet. So, yeah, then uh, Chris went on to speak and uh, mentioned that he and Bill Johnson had been together for 40 years. And then he uh, began to lay out the foundation, uh, what he called... Uh, the foundation of the DNA of Bethel. So he's, he said he wanted to renew the foundation of what Bethel believes, not in terms of the cross. Found that very interesting. Not in terms of the cross. Um, the cross is centrally said, but more in terms of the DNA of our movement. Now I thought, what is he talking about? First of all, not in terms of the cross. He's not going to explain what they believe or what they, uh, what's central to them in terms of the cross, which is central to everything. That's, that is the Christian life. It's central to life and faith and everything. So if it's not part of their DNA, I don't know. Um, yeah, that take it for what you want to take it for. Cross is central. Um, not Pentecost. Pentecost is not central. Supernatural is not central. Christianity, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the central tenets of our faith, period. If anything else comes in, then, um, yeah. So he wanted to explain then the DNA of their movement. Now, what I thought, um, what movement? What is he talking about? He obviously at least means Bethel and probably more than likely means the NAR as well, a new apostolic reformation. There, he then went on to describe that their school has is always growing. They're having uh, 1,400 to 1,500 students uh, every year coming in. Um, that could be anywhere from 4,000 to 5,000 students. And so with that, he said, I think you meant it specifically for that audience as well, because you're coming in, you know, you got new people coming in all the time and we want to make sure you know what our DNA is. He yeah. said, often people, uh, do what Bethel does and, but they don't know why they're doing it. So they're sort of copy. Yeah, I'm sure there's, and we know this, that there's copycats out there that are, sort of mimicking Bethel's ministry, but really have no idea why, what they're doing. They're just sort of kind of trying to be supernatural or whatever that means. So um, then he began to uh, start with the most, well, I don't know if it's the most troubling. Um, one of the more troubling um, aspects of his talk was he said that 20 years ago, he had, had an encounter with the Lord. And I've heard this before, but not so 
uh, really full, fully developed. He, I'd heard this story from him before that he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ personally, where Jesus appeared to him. And um, Jesus said that we are, the Lord said to him, we're moving from denominationalism to apostleships. Um, and then he said he confirmed he knew it was the Lord because he didn't use, he, he doesn't use such big words, i.e. denominationalism. So um, Chris didn't use those type of words, so it had to be the Lord speaking to him because he doesn't use the word denominationalism ever. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Does Jesus use the word denominationalism? I nowhere in scripture so i don't know um that's a big stretch it had to be the lord he used big words um so um and then he says he actually said this you know it's the lord when uh you use more syllables than you normally use so i don't know was he speaking to himself and yeah it's interesting did the lord jesus personally appear to you um, it's obvious he was saying that Jesus spoke to him personally, whether the Lord Jesus physically appeared to him or not. Um, the Lord Jesus had, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, now people who say that they have had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself or heard a message or heard a, a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ um, on top of scripture, which this is obviously a new teaching. This is so clearly a new teaching outside of scripture. Those people are, are stand outside of Christianity. And uh, it, those are cult leaders. So uh, at least cult-like. People who say they've had encounters with God, with Jesus Christ, after scriptures were written, um, Stand outside of Christianity. Shall not add to or take away from the words written in this book. Um, it's clear as day. So this is definitely an addition to the teachings of Scripture. Um, then he said, um, the Lord said, we're moving from denominationalism to apostleships. Ask me what that means. <laughs> That's interesting. The Lord's going to tell him to, that we're doing something. And then you should ask him what it means. So... He said he asked the Lord what it means, <laughs> and the Lord responded, they gather when they agree, and they divide when they disagree. Um, so he's basically saying throughout the sermon, he does kind of come back to it quite a bit, that denominations gather on agreement and divide when they disagree, and that is an unbiblical or a, you know, unity is the highest value in this movement. So disagreement and division, uh, in, in disagreement or division because of disagreement are totally um, uh, negative to them. And so then he fills it out. I'll tell you how he fills it out. Um, and, then he, and then he said, let me be clear. I'm not talking about denominations. Well, you can't have it both ways. Denominationalism is denominations. I mean, you know. They're made up of, of denominations. You can't have it both ways. So um, then I thought, oh, wow, there are plenty. There's got to be plenty of denominations in all these apostolic networks that he's talking to or talking about. 
Now they themselves have, as a as a church, have left the Assemblies of God denomination years ago, so they don't belong to denomination anymore. And I, I guess that makes sense, seeing as how he had this personal revelation of Jesus Christ. So, um, but I thought these other apostolic networks. I mean, what he's basically saying is Assemblies of God. Foursquare, um, all the charismatic and Pentecostal denominations, um, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus is saying, we're leaving denominations behind. We're leaving denominationalism behind. You ought to, you need to embrace the apostolic lead or leadership from the apostolic. And just as a back, back up a little bit, the apostolic new apostolic reformation believes and teaches that the church is governed by apostles and prophets, that those are the governmental leaders of the church, no longer elders, deacons, um, etc., other governmental church leadership. They believe that apostles and prophets are the governmental um, office uh, leadership in churches. And that's uh, filled out in several books by C. Peter Wagner, Shayan, uh, Shayan wrote a book recently called Modern Day Apostles, in which uh, Bill Johnson wrote the foreword. So it, Bill Johnson um, claims that he doesn't have any idea what the New Apostolic Reformation is. It's very, very clear from this sermon, from the time I was there, from the books that have recently come out, from books that have previously come out, Bill Johnson's personal connection with C. Peter Wagner and Wagner Institute, um, they are part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Bill Johnson is the apostle. Chris Valentin is the prophet. They even said that in the most recent video. Chris Valentin called Bill Johnson the an, an apostle. And so... Um, all the denominational networks that they have that are connected to the NAR and to Bethel, um, they're parts of denomination. So I wondered, hmm, um, what about them? Are they not obeying God? Anyways, then um, he said, made this statement as a quote, I'm not talking about what it says over the door of your church, for instance, you know, Foursquare or whatever, whatever your domination is, Baptist, whatever. I'm talking about it, what it says over the door of your heart. Hmm. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, they use all this language that sounds so wonderful, so beautiful, and so people just say, hmm, and you hear people scattered applause and, and people, oh, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. So, mm, so good that, and that you heard that quite a bit. That's sort of, um, Bethel and NAR sort of, um, agreement type, type wording. That's like their amen. So, um, he says then that in the two hour encounter that he had with the Lord, um, or he, he mentioned that it was a two hour encounter. So as if sort of like this, the, the length of the, encounter validated its authenticity and they'll say stuff like that well i went to the third heaven or i i went to the throne room or or i i, I met jesus he put his hand on my shoulder and he he i encountered him for the whole day or something of that nature right and that authentic that the, 
length or the uh, incredible nature of the uh, encounter validates its authenticity. And uh, it just doesn't. Um, so the Lord, uh, speaking to Valentine, said, in denominationalism, they gather when they agree, they divide when they disagree. But in apostleships, they gather not because they agree, but because they're family. So um, denominationalism is bad because they divide and only, only gather together when they agree. And however, apostleships are great or better, more, more virtuous because they gather around family. And um, yeah. I mean, you know, by this point, I guess he's maybe 20, 30 minutes into his sermon or his talk, and he hasn't opened the scripture one time, hasn't put a, a, a chapter and verse to anything. So that's where we find ourselves. Um, then he said, this is really wild. So the, this encounter with Jesus must have been really interesting because Jesus asked him a lot of questions. Um, so the Lord asked him a question. He said, how many times did the Catholic church split? Hmm. I thought, man, like what? Like Jesus really asked you how many times the Catholic church split? Really? <laughs> and of course, then he kind of, it's the theme. Um, splitting, division are not God's will. Um, family, staying together um, is God's will. At all costs, doesn't matter. Uh, theological. So anyways, he goes on then, um, he seemed to point out that he was describing a personal revelation with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, um, he was um, describing a, a time when he preached somewhere and someone came up to him after he was preaching. And it was a Catholic historian, apparently. So it was interesting. It, it not real clear. Um, at first, it seemed like he was describing his personal encounter with Jesus, where Jesus asked him, how many times the Catholic church split? And then maybe the answer to his question to Jesus question came when a Catholic historian approached him after he, um, he had preached somewhere and the, the Catholic historian came up to him and, and said, the, the Lord answered his question through him or something. And the historian answered the question and said only twice. <laughs> so, um, uh, first of all, he, um, he definitely misrepresenting and mischaracterizing church history. Um, he then said the Catholic church is 2000 years old and has only split twice. And what do they call their leaders? They call them father. So the Catholic church is better because they have only split twice. They call their their leader's father. And then he goes on to talk about the Protestant church. Um, and the Protestant church is 500 years old. And he's asked the question, how many times is the Protestant church split in 500 years? And then he was like, okay. And he made a joke. Okay. Let me make it easier. How many times has the, has the Protestant church split in the last 30 days? And then of course it was scattered laughter because we're always splitting. We're always having schisms and blah, blah, blah. So, um, you see how, it's really clear is totally mischaracterized the Lutheran Reformation, um, the Catholic church and it's demand that, that people believe that we're saved by faith plus works. And, and, and that's not how man is made right with God. It is clear. The Lutheran Reformation was right. 
on this one thing. How is man made right with God? And so, um, yeah, so he was definitely way off in this. Interesting, the whole section um, in this sermon is sort of meant to erode the validity of the Protestant Reformation and strengthen the Catholic Church and its unity and longevity over against uh, our disunity. It's almost like, I mean, he was um, eroding his own tradition. I mean, if he's Protestant, then um, he was really giving us a, a, you know, slapping us around a bit. And he totally mischaracterized the Reformation, obviously needs to study theology or do more work on the history of denominations. Um, he goes on to say he's not a church historian then. He, so he takes about 15 minutes to totally uh, destroy the Protestant Reformation and its roots, and then goes on to say, well, I'm not a church historian really, even so. Um, and then he said even looks at those big, thick books and becomes completely disinterested and said, can you give me just the highlights? You know, people give him big theological books. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> this whole section was really really bad and um hard to hard to actually quantify it you know um yeah and then he really goes after luther for a minute um and uh he goes on to say that he has no opinion of whether luther should have left the church or not and i thought wait like wait a minute luther didn't leave the church he was excommunicated he didn't want to leave the church he was excommunicated and con and condemned. Um, Martin Luther left the church over doctrinal issues, he said. And that is just not true. It's obvious he has no idea, no concept of what happened in the Lutheran Reformation. Luther didn't leave the church. He was excommunicated and named anathema by the Catholic Church. That happened at the Council of Worms. Do your research know your church history and he obviously does not know it and um he was and and again <laughs> when make clear luther was condemned for teaching the word of god teaching that people can be saved by faith alone um and he obviously um didn't realize that doesn't know that um he then argued that uh his leaving or protesting, quote unquote, created a DNA of staying when we agree and dividing when we disagree. Um, so again, uh, agreement uh, and division is 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 not God's will or God's plan, um, and um, unity is the highest value for everything. So um, then, then he goes on to, Valentin went on to say, let me be clear, truth is really important. And then he uh, began to make a series of straw man arguments um, to argue that denominationalism is unthinking and people are brainwashed and conditioned not to think. Thinking is dangerous in denominationalism, he said. Making real blanket statements and um, really mischaracterizing and demonizing uh, denominations then denomination is another quote denominationalism is all about being right so he qualifies it by saying let me be clear truth is really important but denominationalism is all about being right um, and they're wrong for that 
So, yeah, um, very, very uh, sad that he doesn't have any concept or idea of of what Protestant the Protestant Reformation is all about. Um, so we're going to stop it with, with that section. Um, I'm going to try to do this in three different uh, sessions. So hopefully you'll stick with, if you're interested, stick with it. Um, and I'll continue to give my review of my time and my visit at Bethel. So thanks for listening to Churchpreneurs Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. And I also blog at www.richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at richardpmore23. You can also email us at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out on one of these platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.